every year, Time magazine produces a list of the 100 most influential people. And I had a look at this week at the people who made uh, 2020's list. And I, I've got to be honest, I didn't recognize many of the names. There weren't many that were kind of household names to me. And I was looking at the kind of short list of 2021, and I recognized even less. Maybe if you're probably under 40 and a bit more kind of on trend, you maybe recognize some of them. But I'm not, and I didn't. So there we go. But it's up to the reader of Time magazine, I guess, really, to decide whether the influence that these 100 most influential people have is a good influence or a bad influence or, or just indifferent. Time magazine isn't particularly making a judgment on that. They're just commenting on how influential these people have been on such world, in, uh, world events and culture and so on. And it got me to thinking about the people in my life that have been not just a good influence, but actually a godly influence, a godly influence on me. And people, I should say, have played a real part in shaping uh, who I am today. Um, I came up with a list of 10 people, not, not I was looking for 10, I just came up with 10 people as I was kind of thinking through, and there's probably loads more people, and some of them are in this room, but 10 people really stood out to me, three ladies and seven men, and I guess the reason I came up with more men is because I'm a man, therefore I probably interact more with men um, at this kind of level. But two of those men are no longer with us, uh, and they're with the Lord in heaven, which is, which is great, but the rest are very much alive and well. One of them is a historical figure, a guy called George Muller, who lived in the 1800s in, in Bristol. He built orphanages and uh, looked after thousands and thousands of children who were orphaned at the time and lived totally by faith and, and just wanted to do what he did partly to feed and look after the, the poor, but also as a testimony to the fact that God provides our needs. So he lived by faith. And, and Muller has been a, an amazing impact on, on my life. I read his biography when I was about 19 and really became a hero to me reading his example, um, and still is very much a, uh, influences my life. The others are all people who either by their example or by their kind of deliberate direct involvement in my life have been a godly example to me and a godly influence. The, the, the second person there was a family friend. He was my, my best friend's dad, my dad's best friend, and the guy who sort of ran the Sunday school uh, of the church in, uh, uh, when I was a kid. The third person has been an amazing example of devotion to God and of telling people about Jesus. Uh, some of you will know him. He took uh, our wedding, in fact. Fourth person was a family friend. He got me started in preaching when I was about 19. He said, all right, you're going to come out preaching with me. Uh, I did that for a few weeks, and he just gave me his diary and said, all right, you're now going to do all my preaching engagements. Off you go. Uh, so it's his fault that I'm kind of up here. The, the fifth person, many of you will know, is Ian Galloway, who used to be lead elder at uh, City Church now heads up the Free Church Chapel at Tamar Hall in Durham, and he's been an amazing support and influence, both sort of actively and proactively uh, in my life since I've been here at uh, Full Time and Regent, and he's taught me a great deal. The sixth person is my oldest brother, who's now with the Lord, but he was a great example to me. He's nine years older than me, but as growing up, uh, he really sowed lots of seeds into my life um, and invested lots in me uh, and opened my eyes to all sorts of things. And did so into my life spiritual seeds. And the seventh person is his wife, my sister-in-law, who has always been so passionate about her faith, a great example to Claire and I, and a great model for parenting, and what, what a godly wife looks like, and so on. The eighth person is my own mum, who day by day brought me up to know and to love Jesus. She uh, was a great and amazing wife to my dad, and, and someone who loved the Lord, still is someone who loved the Lord and, and served in our church. The ninth person would be my own dad, who 
one of my abiding memories of my dad, he's still alive, but one of my abiding memories as a kid is my dad reading the Bible, always open on the arm of his chair. And you, as a kid, you grow up kind of absorbing that without necessarily even saying anything, just seeing how important Jesus was in his life and, and still continues to be. And, and I guess Jesus and the local church were the two most single important things in, in, in my dad's life. And I absorbed that from him as a child, as well as seeing how one day to love my own wife uh, from his example. And of course, the last person is Claire, someone who's an amazing example for me of what a godly woman looks like, someone who loves Jesus, loves me, and loves our kids. And pretty much everything, and I'm not just saying this, this is not in the room, this is safe, but everything good about me is pretty much as a result of Claire. She is uh, very much my Proverbs 31 wife. None of these people are or were perfect. They're all flawed human beings. And in fact, one of them, sadly, has actually since made a mess of his life and has turned away from the Lord. But nevertheless, liberal or not, they, had, they were a massive influence and continue to be um, a real godly influence in, in my life in different ways. And I guess if all of us were to kind of look back on our lives, you'd all come up with different people who've been a, a good and hopefully godly influence in your life in different ways, either deliberately or just kind of absorbed from their example. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Titus in the New Testament of the Bible. It was a letter that Paul wrote to Titus about church leadership primarily. And we've seen how one of Paul's concerns was the danger of bad and ungodly influences in a local church. And Titus was there on Crete. He was trying to help lead these, this whole kind of network of churches. And Paul was writing to Titus, trying to help him to protect those churches. And we saw two weeks ago how Paul instructed Titus to appoint elders in every single one of those churches. And part of the reason for appointing elders was to protect those churches from false teaching and ungodly influences. And then last week we saw how Paul really focused in specifically on false teachers themselves and how Titus was to make sure that those false teachers, those ungodly influences, didn't wreck those local churches and cause more problems. And today we're looking at the beginning of the section where Paul then instructs Titus to help two specific groups of people in those churches there in Crete that he's looking after. And what Paul wants Titus to uh, focus on is helping these two groups of people to be godly examples and a godly influence on others, especially to those who are younger than themselves. In today's passage, and what we're going to look at uh, next week uh, as well, but in today's passage, uh, Paul focuses on, on the older men and how they can be a godly example to particularly, well, to everybody, but particularly to those who are younger than themselves. And then next week, we're going to see how he focuses on the older women and how they can be a godly influence on the younger women in the church. So let's read Titus uh, chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 8, but we're only focusing specifically today on verses 1 and 2. But we'll read the whole uh, first uh, eight verses just for a bit of context and setting. So if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me and we'll look at chapter 2, or you can just listen as I read it. So Paul writes this in chapter 2, verse 1 of Titus. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine healthy doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show 
integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed, because they have nothing bad to say about us. Thank you. 
there is somebody younger than us that we can be a godly influence on. Okay, so please don't switch off and think, I'm not an older guy, this isn't for me, because it absolutely is. If you are 20, then you will have men in their teens looking to you and watching your example and learning from you uh, uh, in a good or a bad way. You will be an influence in their lives for better or for worse. If you are 30, you will have those in their teens looking to you. If you are 40, then you will have those in their 20s and their 30s who just will instinctively look to you for your example. If you're over 40, if you're 50, 60, it it doesn't matter what age we are, we are all influencing other people without even realizing it. So whilst this is specifically aimed at older men, this is actually true for all of us, okay? The, The kind of principles behind this, they apply to our lives no matter what age we are. And if you're not a man this morning, which is probably 50% of us, then as a woman, can I encourage you to pray for the men and specifically for the older men to, in this church to be the godly examples that we want them to be and that we should be. Pray for them. Uh, rather than kind of moaning about our men, pray for our men. That would be great, wouldn't it? That would be a really good thing to do. Now, Paul identifies six areas of life that he wants Titus to teach the older men about where he wants them to grow in godliness and Christ-likeness so that they can then be, in turn, a godly example, particularly to the younger men, not just, but particularly to the younger men. But Paul isn't just giving Titus or or, or us today a kind of list of rules and regulations. He's not interested in just creating kind of good moral behavior in the local church. And in fact, the whole of the New Testament's not interested in that. I don't want to steal Keith's thunder when he preaches on chapter 2, 11 to 14 in a few weeks. But I do want to briefly look at some of those verses because they do impact what we're looking at this morning. Paul says this in verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't behave in a godly way in a godly way to try and earn God's favor, to try and earn God's acceptance or his blessing. It's because God has given us his favor in his grace, in his unmerited, undeserved uh, favor. He has poured out his blessings on us. He's forgiven us. He's accepted us. He's given us eternal life and a relationship with himself. It's because that grace has appeared to us that we should then live the kind of lives that God wants us to live. God's grace, God loving us and forgiving us and accepting us, teaches us, Paul says, to live godly lives. The more time we spend focusing on God's grace, the more time or or the more our behavior will change, even perhaps without our even realizing it. The more we look to Jesus, the more we are focusing on God and his grace, the more our behavior will change. The more we're blown away, as, as, as Rachel helped us kind of focus on this morning, blown away by what God has done for us, the more we will just instinctively want to live the way that pleases him. So Pick up your outline if you haven't done already. It should be on your chair. If if you want to live a godly life, write this down. If you want to live a godly life, if you want to be a godly influence on other people, then you need to focus on God's grace. This isn't about kind of trying harder or or being a better person. It's about first and foremost focusing on God's grace. Because as we focus on God's grace, his grace appears and teaches us to say no to all these wrong things and teaches us to live the kind of life that we want to live. We need to focus on God's grace. And, And that's what communion's about. It helps us on a weekly basis just come right back to the foot of the cross and focus on God's grace for us. And as we do that, it inspires us to to live the kind of lives that we should do. As we focus on and look at what Jesus did for us there on the cross, it it will transform our behavior if the Holy Spirit is living in us. So Paul says, teach the older men to be temperate. 
And the word temperate specifically means not being controlled by intoxicating substances such as alcohol. It, it doesn't mean specifically that. But as one Bible commentator says, it's about wise moderation in matters that sinful humans frequently pursue to excess. And remember, Paul is both targeting the behavior of older men for their own sake, but also for the sake of the influence that they will then have on younger people, particularly younger men. And there's nothing wrong in drinking alcohol as such. The problem that the Bible identifies is getting drunk, being out of control. Because if we have too much to drink, then we're no longer in control of our behavior, and all sorts of things can happen. Paul says in Ephesians 5, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is primarily sexual sin. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So we don't want to be known if we're older men or, or, or any age, male or female. We don't want to be known as those who are under the influence of alcohol and our behavior driven by alcohol or anything else for that matter. We want to be known as men who are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that we are those who are keeping in step day by day with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with alcohol, but it's good to ask ourselves whether, the, whether if we do drink alcohol, is the amount I drink and the way I drink alcohol, is that, is that helpful to others and does it please God? It's a good question to ask ourselves. If I do drink alcohol, is the amount I drink and is the way I drink, is that, is that helpful, is it beneficial to other Christians around me and non-Christians for that matter? And is it pleasing to God? Paul then says, teach the older men to be worthy of respect. Teach the older men to be worthy of respect. Now, on the one hand, as followers of Jesus, we should show respect to everybody, even those who don't deserve it. We, as, as Christians, we should, be, we should show respect to everybody. We read these words in 1 Peter. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So, Christians being respectful of other people shouldn't depend on other people's behavior. We don't show respect if they earn it or if they deserve it. According to the Bible, we should be respectful of all people, even those who haven't earned it. The emperor, when Peter wrote these words, was Nero, who was an absolutely depraved, evil man who used to burn Christians for fun. But Peter was still instructing the Christians of his day to show respect to Nero. He was the emperor. And the same is true for us today. There'll be people that we will have in our lives or, or in the life of our nation, and they definitely don't deserve respect, but we should still be respectful to them. We may not deserve respect, but we should respect them and be respectful as we interact with people. However, what Paul is saying here is that the older men should live in a way that is worthy of respect. We should respect them whatever, but they should live lives that are actually worthy of respect. That as other people look at them and say, yeah, that's a guy I respect. His behavior just creates respect in me. I look to him. I'm, I'm impressed by him. I respect him because of his behavior. Live a life that's worthy of respect. The, the behavior of the older men, according to Paul here, is meant to generate and create respect. The older men in the church family should live and should behave in a way that others, especially the younger men, look at them and say, I want to be like them. My nephew said, there aren't enough older men I want to be like when I'm their age. And that's a really sad comment, isn't it? And quite an indictment, uh, maybe on the church in general. But wouldn't it be great if here at Regent, the younger men could look around and say, you know, Regent, my church family is full of older men that I respect. Full of people in general that are older than me. But the men especially, as a younger man, I look to them and I respect them. And I want to be like them. And I admire them. Wouldn't that be great if we could say that of Regent? Wouldn't that be fantastic? It's good to stop and ask ourselves, 
what steps do I need to take to be that kind of person that other people respect, that other people say, that is, he or she is a really godly example to me. And what changes do we need to make in our lives for that maybe to be the case? Paul then says, teach the older men to be self-controlled. Now, self-control is, what we, is, what, is one of what we call the fruits of the Spirit. It's one of the outcomes of the Holy Spirit living within us, or it should be. Now, the Holy Spirit lives in every Christian. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and fills us, and one of the outcomes of that should be self-control. But, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't force us to change. He doesn't force us to display the fruits of the Spirit, and he doesn't do it for us. He gives us the desire and the impetus to change and, and the ability, but we still have to take responsibility and actually do that. And if we lack the motivation to do that or to do any of these things, we need to go back to God's grace. As it says in verse, thing, in, in, in verse 13, God's grace teaches us to live self-controlled lives. So as we look at God's grace, it should give us that motivation and that passion and desire to live those kind of self-controlled lives. Focusing on God's grace, it teaches us so many things. When we consider all that God has done for us, it will then motivate us to want to live the kind of lives that God wants us to. And self-control is very much a part of that. Self-control isn't meant to be an optional extra for Christians. It's meant to be fundamental to who we are and how we live. If we lack self-control, then spend time focusing on God's grace in saving you and in forgiving you and in giving you eternal life and allow that to be your motivation. If you're someone you think, yeah, I really struggle with self-control, well, go back to the cross, go back to Jesus, go back to God's grace, and allow that to be the inspiration and the driver in your life. Part of living a life that's worthy of respect is being somebody who exhibits self-control, according to Paul. And that includes the realm of alcohol, but it's much wider than that. Self-control involves the idea of being a disciplined person. It's about not being lazy. It's about getting up early or getting up on time. It's about doing the things that we said we're going to do and doing them on time. It's about spending time with God. It's about investing time in prayer. It's about our eating habits, about our drinking habits. It's about our use of digital devices, our use of social media, the amount of TV we watch. All of that is about our self-control interacts with all these things. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. In other words, an undisciplined man is, is defenseless against his passions, his temptations, his temper. He's like a city whose defensive walls have fallen down, a city that's got no defense against an enemy and no credibility. So are we, with the help of the Holy Spirit, living within us in control of our behavior? Or do we lack discipline? Do we lack self-control? And it's always good to ask ourselves, how would others evaluate my life? How would they evaluate me on that? And again, if, if that's something we struggle with, go back to God's grace. Allow God's grace to be that driver. Paul then says, teach the older men to be sound in faith. Now, the word sound here hasn't got anything to do with what we hear. It, it's sound in the sense of being healthy and, and being wholesome. So in other words, teach the older men to be healthy in their faith. Teach the older men to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, the object of their faith. Teach the older men to stay focused on what is really important in life, which isn't their pension package or their retirement plans or their health or their kids' success or, or lack of. These are things which probably, as we get over 50, begin to become more and more important and understandably so in our lives. But Paul says, look, teach the older men to stay focused on Jesus. 
And to as Paul says in Philippians 3, be eagerly ex- living and expecting our Savior from heaven. That's where our focus should be. Not on stuff that's legitimate, but ultimately is not important in the big realm of things. You know, as Christian men get older, they tend to increasingly focus on one of two things, I've, I've observed anyway. But they either increasingly focus on material things, health, uh, which often deteriorates as we go over 50. They, they focus on their health, on their pension plans, their cars, their holidays, their retirement plans, and, and so on. Or they increasingly focus on Jesus and are known for being those who do so. Well, the other things are not important, but that is where their focus is. It's on Jesus. It's not on these other things. Men who are increasingly focused on Jesus and are looking forward to one day being with him. Wouldn't it be great, again, if, if here at Regent we were a church with older men who are known for being focused on Jesus and focused on heavenly things, whose eyes are fixed on that which is above, not on that which is below. Wouldn't that be fantastic if that could be said of us here at Regent? Paul then says, teach the older men to be sound or healthy in love. And, and the Greek word for love here is the, the Greek word uh, agape. I have to be careful because I've got a Greek speaker in the room. Um, and I'll get my kind of sense of whether that pronunciation was right later. But this is the Greek word that's used. There are three different Greek words for love in the Bible. This is the word that's it's the highest form of love. It's the word that's used of God's love for us in sending Jesus. And P- Paul is saying, teach the older men to be spiritually healthy by loving others. Teach the older men to be spiritually healthy by loving in the way that I have loved you, God says. I've I've also observed that as Christian men get older, they do one of two things. They either become increasingly grumpy and negative and unloving towards others, or they become increasingly uh, those who sacrificially love other people and the rest of their church family. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of man I want to be. I want to be a kind of man who is not that grumpy, irritable old guy who just moans about my life. I want to be that man who loves Jesus and loves others and shows the love of Jesus to others. And it would be great, again, wouldn't it, if here at Regent, those who are not older men could look around and say, how loving the older men in our church are to me. How loving the older men are in our church family. Paul says these words to all Christians, not just to older men. In Ephesians 5, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. And it's this Greek word, uh, agape again. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are all meant to love one another in this way. But Paul, especially in this passage, focuses on the older men. And then then finally, Paul says, Teach the older men to be sound or healthy in endurance. And the word endurance here is is this idea of patiently keeping going whilst under pressure and under stress and under duress. It's very true, I think, that often starting out as a Christian is is often the easy bit. It's finishing well that is often much harder, particularly as we get older. And, And that's especially true as we get older and often our health fails and then some of our plans and those big dreams that we had just haven't quite materialized. And as we often, as perhaps older men, have to deal with disappointments, maybe in our own families. But once again, the inspiration for keeping going and for that endurance under pressure is God's grace to us. To look back again at what Jesus did for us and allow that to be the fire that burns within us, that keeps us and enables us to endure to the end. To, uh, to use the inspiration to keep going to the end of our lives, living faithfully for Jesus, even when our health is failing. 
even when life is really hard, even when things haven't worked out as we'd have hoped, that inspiration is Jesus. Paul writes these words in 1 Thessalonians. He says, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by what? By hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what should inspire us to endure and to keep going to the end, even when life is difficult. When we focus on God's grace shown to us in and through Jesus, it will inspire us to keep going and to endure to the end. If you're an older man this morning and life is difficult for you for whatever reason, and if you're struggling to endure, can I encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus, the one who, uh, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Be inspired by hope in him. And as you do so, you can in turn be a fantastic godly example to men who are younger than you, who are watching your every step and are looking to you for your example, especially those who are younger in the faith. It's probably fair to say that three quarters of us, three quarters of us here this morning are not older men. And, and I'm definitely going to claim that. I am not an older man yet, about 18 months to go, according to this kind of definition. Half of you probably are ladies. So where do we kind of go with this this morning? Well, can I ask you, can I encourage you to pray for the older men in our church family? Pray for them and encourage the older men in our church family. Say something nice to them. Uh, thank them for being, you know, something that's helpful to them. And when you see them doing something that's admirable, go and say thank you. Go and encourage them. Don't just, uh, don't just take it for granted that they do what they do. Go and say thank you. Go and say Go and encourage them. Build them up. Spend time with them. Show them how much you appreciate them. Open your home to them. Maybe there's folks in this church of, of all sorts of ages that you've never had in your home. I encourage you. We're meant to be a church family, and that means opening our homes to one another. If, you ha if there's people you haven't had in your home, invite them into your home. Spend time with the older men in our church family. Seek them out on a Sunday morning. Talk to them. But maybe actually be... In, uh, deliberate and meet up with them out of church or, or have them in your home. It'd be great to be able to really get to know people. Uh, there was a guy who I didn't put up on the list, but was a, uh, some of you will remember here, uh, a guy called Tom Seymour, who when I first came to Region, was just a kind of walking example of godliness and spirituality and love for Jesus and a great example that, yeah, that aspect, when I am that age, I just want to be like him. And it was great, and I had a real privilege of going around and eating lots of carrot cake uh, in Tom and Margaret's house. Uh, but just a, just a wonderful example that they were. Um, wouldn't it be great if we could be those kind of people, but also that we could encourage those people who for perhaps all their lives have served and have served Jesus. Get to know them, that we can pray for them, that we can encourage them, as in turn they'll hopefully be a good and a godly example in our lives, in each one of our lives. That's the men. Next week's the ladies. Whether I'll live through the end of that service, we'll wait and see. But let's pray for each other. Let's encourage one another. Let's learn from one another. Let's humble ourselves under each other. Submit to one another, as Paul says, out of reverence for Christ. Let's just take a few moments to pause, to reflect on the words that we've, we've read from Titus. And just ask ourselves this morning, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? What is the Holy Spirit saying to me about uh, what we've read this morning? And, and what, what does that look like for me? What steps maybe do I need to take?
things to stop, things to start doing, whatever that might look like. And, and, and whatever else we do, let's go back to God's grace because that's always going to be good for you. We're going to turn back to what Jesus has done for us. So let's just bow our heads. Let's just reflect for a few moments. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the those who've gone before us, those who are older than us in the faith or in, or in age that are a great example. Lord, we can all look at people and think of people this morning alive or perhaps gone to be with you that have influenced us, have been a godly influence in our lives. And it's, we just, it's our desire this morning, Lord, that each one of us would be likewise a, a godly example, a godly influence to other people, that we might also do uh, and be what others have been for us. Help us, Lord, to do this. Whatever age we are, whatever situation we're in, help us realize the power of influence that we do have over others. Help us to be a godly influence. And help us to make a real difference in other people's lives, whether that's passively or, or more proactively. Help us to do that and be that, we pray. Father, we pray that we would serve one another, that we would serve one another in love, that we would love one another as you have loved us. Help us to be that kind of church family that loves one another, cares for one another, we might serve one another just as Jesus came, not to be served, but to serve, to give his life that we might live. So we come to you this morning. We pray for your help. Inspire us once again by your grace, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name.